Now, Heavenly Father, we look into your word, which you tell us is God breathes. You've inspired the holy men of old, as the word declares, and that they spoke and wrote as the Spirit gave them utterance. And God, so what we have before us uh, this morning is not some suggestions from some well-meaning uh, religious men, but uh, what it is, the word of God. Help us to receive it as it is and uh, open our hearts, God, so that we might obey and be blessed and be a blessing to you. In Christ's name, amen. amen. I read about a sad, sad incident in the inner city of Delaware, but these days it happens so frequently. It could have happened in any of our cities. A man named Anthony had lost his younger brother. His younger brother was hanging around with the wrong crowd, got into an altercation, and tragically uh, was shot and killed. The gunman was caught and uh, arrested and tried and found guilty and, and sent to prison. Uh, but the story doesn't end there because of something called getting even. So Anthony uh, wasn't okay with simply letting the legal system do its job and mete out justice for his slain brother. So he nursed that anger and he kindled that hate. He decided uh, to show his brother's killer exactly what it felt like to lose a loved one like that. And so he became a killer too, to quote, settle the score. So that made for two funerals, two guys wasting away in prison, because that's where he is right now, two sets of families reeling in unspeakable pain, double the tragedy, double the grief, double the trouble. It's a big part of why God forbids his people from retaliating in any way for any reason ever uh, at any level in spite of uh, the circumstances and in spite of how good it feels to our fallen sinful nature uh, to get even with somebody who's harmed us, you know, or how loud the applause in movie theaters is when the bad guy gets his just desserts, you see. When someone hurts us and they're rude or mean or hurtful, uh, the natural inclination in fallen man is to respond in like manner. But the Lord has another idea, and the Paul, Paul the Apostle passed it along to you and to me, and it's the theme of this entire letter, First Peter, uh, quoting the Bible. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay now, for me, I don't know about you, but that's a very helpful thought to prevent me from wanting to retaliate in like uh, manner because I know, look, I'm not letting them off the hook that there is somebody who will make justice happen. He will defend my uh, part in it and he will prosecute to the fullest extent of the law uh, in more creative and more powerful, more wise ways than I could ever do. So uh, we're never letting somebody get away with something. Uh, we're just trusting God to do as God has promised and uh, to take care of the matter. And so that's the recurring theme of First Peter. And if it sounds like we've been repeating uh, ourselves uh, from Sunday to Sunday, it's because we kind of are, because the entire five chapters really has this recurring thought, how to live a godly life in a hostile world and maintain a compelling Christian witness how to live beautifully and graciously a good life in spite of being mistreated or persecuted. And, uh, and retaliation is just out of the question. And, and just the opposite is called for, which is, can, is only possible if the Holy Spirit is helping us to bless those who curse us and to do good to our persecutors as the Lord commanded. 
his people to do. Uh, leave it to God to settle the score as he's promised. So we're going to pick up again at verse 9. Verse 9 is for context. We looked at verse 9 last week. And then we just move forward uh, right away and we'll walk our way through the end of this chapter. So let's begin with this uh, similar uh, thought again at verse 9. First Peter chapter 3. Do not Repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing from God. Which do you want? Do you want God's discipline for behaving badly or do you want him to commend you and give you a blessing? Verse 13. Now who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. And, and as Isaiah said, do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. So let's park there, talk about this. Note takers, uh, when mistreated, respond with goodness. You know, two other paragraphs will follow, as I uh, promised there. And uh, we'll begin with biblical wisdom of um, behaving well no matter the circumstance. And that's who we are. We have God's holy spirit living in us and so we are to act holy no matter the circumstances whether we're comfortable or not whether we're warmly received or painfully excluded and persecuted you know we we really have only one option how to behave and that's christ-like because that's what your name means christian is that we must be like christ to love like christ and Christ loved his enemies. He prayed for those who were executing him. And we have to follow in like manner if we want to be Christ-like. And that's the calling, uh, he says, because that is what you're called to be and to do. And so, yeah, a mean-spirited response to a mean-spirited insult only ramps up the conflict and pours gas on the flame and also invites the Lord's discipline. Listen to this in Proverbs. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased with you and turn away his anger from him, from the guy, the perpetrator. He's like, listen, God deals with bad behavior wherever he finds it. And if he finds it in a heart that hates him, he deals with it. And if he finds bad, evil things in a heart that loves him, then he deals with that accordingly. And that's why it says, uh, the Lord disciplines those he loves and chastises everyone he accepts as his own. Uh, That is Hebrews 12, quoting Proverbs 3, uh, telling us, look, if bad behavior invites correction from God, why? Because you belong to him and he loves you. And uh, he wants you to be doing the things that bring blessing and not be acting uh, out in a way that, uh, that atheists do. So really the idea here is, isn't life hard enough without instigating the Lord to bring correction our way? Um, and isn't it hard enough that you're being mistreated than to uh, throw, throw the... Uh, gas on the fire, as I said. Verse 13 is asks a kind of an awkward question if you don't have the context. Who's going to harm you if you are zealous? The word means boiling over uh, to do the right thing. Now, uh, it's a strange sounding question because if you don't have the context, you're wondering, well, isn't that what's going on here? They could say, well, you're asking who's going to harm us if we do the right thing? Well, we're doing the right thing. And we're suffering as a result. But Peter here is talking about two different arenas of life and two very different kinds of suffering. Uh, One kind of suffering that he's not talking about here is the one we can't do anything about. It's the good life that we live in a world that, quote, Jesus said, John chapter 3, prefers darkness rather than light. And when you're shining the light in a world that doesn't appreciate the light. They don't want to be convicted of their sins. Uh, they value their 
sinful lives and their autonomy more than they value their own souls. And so they're annoyed by the gospel and don't consider it good news. And they push back. And that's something you have no control over. But he's not talking about that kind of doing good and receiving harm. He's, he's talking about your reaction needs to be good behavior when you're aggressed or you will make more trouble for yourself. So in other words, who's going to harm you if your harsh and your unreasonable boss is giving you a hard time that instead of bad behavior, you speak well of him and you work even harder to please him? So uh, that's going to short circuit uh, any additional uh, harm that's going to come from your way by behaving badly and instigating the mean and unreasonable boss even more. So, so this is the idea. So he's just saying, you know, there's one kind of suffering you can't avoid by being good and. And if you do happen to, the text says, uh, suffer for your Christian life, you're blessed. It's a good thing because God's using it. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. John 15. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you because you're saying the same kinds of things that I said and you're living the same kind of way that I lived. And, that, and look what, where that got me. It got me the cross. So therefore, pick up your crosses too, little Christian, and follow me. And accept that some, and expect that some of your good that you do is going to bring a little pushback. But the here he's saying, as I've been saying, is, is that when you are aggressed for a normal Christian life, that you are not to respond badly and then cause yourself more uh, pain. And so uh, if you slander your slanderer back, uh, he can sue you and take you to court. Why? Because you're just as guilty as he is. Right, and uh, but if you speak well of him, you never have to worry about being called into court or to be rebuked by God for slandering. Because when when you slander, the word means it's devil. It means devil means slanderer. So when you when you devil someone, then God will deal with you. So he says, avoid the chastisement from heaven and avoid the ramifications of your own evil behavior that comes justified in your mind, you know, well, he, X, Y, and Z. So I have to slander. Well, no, you didn't. If you get a little shove, you might shove him back and then he falls, he hits his head, and now what? Now you're in trouble. But if you would have smiled when he shoved you a little bit, and you would have prayed for him and walked away, Peter says, who's going to prosecute you for that? That's the idea when he's asking uh, the question. But if you're, 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 you're suffering for the Lord, that's a blessed kind, you, you know. That's what he says there in verse 14. It's, it's just blessed. And why are you blessed? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are you when people insult you. Ever been insulted for being a Christian? He says, you're blessed. Persecute you. Anybody ever give you a hard time? Uh, you're blessed, Jesus said. Matthew chapter 5, and he goes on. Who, and, and they may say uh, all kinds of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. This passage has uh, changed my life in some regard because, uh, you know, publicly I, I've been uh, harassed and slandered and, and all kinds of false things have been said about me and you publicly, collectively. And, and the Lord said, uh, rejoice. When people slam you publicly, right? Great is your reward in heaven. And so it dawned on me, listen to this, that, and the Lord spoke to my heart, there is something in heaven, an eternal reward waiting for you that you would not have had unless you were persecuted in that way. Unless you were insulted like that, you, you, it wouldn't be here. 
But because you were, and you handled it as, as best as you could, uh, wisely, there's reward for you. And I started thinking, eternal reward just for a little, you know, being humiliated a little bit and lied about and all of that. It just like turned everything around. And I started to get excited. Well, what is great reward? Jesus said, great reward. When they lie about you, great rewards waiting for you. Well, I started thinking, what does that look like? When Jesus doesn't exaggerate. You know, he just said it's reward. Then he said, it's great reward. So I can't wait to see what my persecutors have gifted to me <laughs> to, to enjoy forever. It's eternal. So the little momentary you know, attack in itself created this beautiful thing. And so that's why Peter says, you're blessed. You're blessed because eternity uh, where things matter is going to be really good for you. And so verse 14, rounding out his thoughts, he says, so don't fear their threats and don't be frightened by them. Why is he saying that? Well, it may, it's very intimidated to take a non-retaliatory attitude, to roll over and play dead. That's how it feels. You know, you're really not allowed to defend yourself, you know? So they tell a story and they leave out the part that, that really matters so that when somebody comes to you and says, hey, I heard this terrible thing about A, B, and C, you know, and then you say, oh, did, oh they left out D. And then you tell them D, you know, and then they go, oh, well, <laughs> they left that part out of the story. Well, of course, because that, it makes the other person look bad and them look good. So they leave it out. So what we want to do is we want to correct. But when we correct, we want to just let everybody know and expose and reveal and hurt them in that <laughs> gossiping back you know, in the same way. And so he says, you can't be led by fear of, oh no, everybody's going to think this and I better do that. He says, don't be afraid of them. Here's where your fear should be. Not fearing them, but fear disappointing your Lord and acting like them and stooping to their level and becoming just as evil for all intents and purposes, you're doing exactly what they did. So uh, he says, yeah, don't be frightened, like scared and backed into a corner like some kind of crazed animal and then lash out without regard of moral ethics and commands and of what the Lord thinks of that. You just can't do that. Fear of man will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. He says, listen, don't be led by fear be led by faith. And then he just drops this bomb of truth that sets our hearts free and opens the whole path to how to do this. Verse, verses 15 through 17. So he says, don't act like an animal retaliation like that, but here's how to do it. Don't be afraid and push back in fear. But in your hearts, verse 15 now, revere, set apart, sanctify, honor. That's what that word means in the Greek. Set apart Jesus Christ as Lord, like as in your Lord, <laughs> in your heart. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope that you have. Interesting there that God expects us to live in a way that instigates a question curiosity, like what's up with this peace and this joy in your heart and life, that that's how we should be living, that people want to know what's different about you. So uh, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do, do it and watch your tone with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you and your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. They'll have nothing to say. You're going to pull the carpet out from their feet by 
watching your tongue and uh, speaking kindly. Verse 17, for it is better if it's God's will. I love that. If it's God's will, it's not, it's not every day that we have to suffer for our faith, but if God allows it and it's in your life and it's happening, then it's in the realm of his permissive will, as we say, and that something good, he's working something redemptive for you and uh, everybody involved. And so it's a good thing to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So uh, let's talk about this. So we, we leave note takers behave with goodness when mistreated, and now we behave with goodness and we speak with kindness. All right, so uh, it's a matter of the heart, first of all, because Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, it's from the overflow of your heart the lips speak. So uh, fixing your words is never a matter of focusing on the tongue. It's a matter of uh, dealing with the source of the problem, and that's the heart. And so, yeah, the tongue is a restless beast, James uh, chapter 3, filled with deadly venom, (laughs) uh, impossible to tame by man. Uh, But the Holy Spirit can get a hold of that, as we saw a couple weeks ago. Uh, yeah, so the the first order of business in watching your words with unbelievers, especially now in the context of uh, adversarial environment, uh, they're offended, we're offended, and uh, we go at each other, you know? And he says, when you have an opportunity to share in the context where there's hostility, and there usually is, he says, watch your tone. Be prepared. Not only choose your words wisely, but the spirit in which you speak is important as well. And so so he wants us to corral those crazy thoughts, take them captive, you know, those wild emotions ricocheting all over us when we're responding to painful behavior aimed at us. Right, he says, here's how you do this. He says, in your heart, revere, honor, worship. It can also mean worship. Worship Christ as Lord. Here's what he's saying. In your heart, in the Bible's way of understanding the heart, it's command central. It's the, the, it's the place where your spiritual life comes from. That's why uh, Proverbs 4 and verse 23 says, above all else. Guard your heart because it's like a wellspring. It's a wellspring of life. Uh, from your heart, your entire life springs and unfolds, right? So you got to watch that heart. So he says, look, here's how you're going to overcome this world. In your heart, in command central, put Christ where he rightfully belongs on the throne of your heart. Take your cues from Christ as your Lord. Who's Lord in there? Your feelings of being hurt or rejected or the pain of betrayal? Who's driving the bus? It's the Lord on the throne that you react from. You go before the Lord, and now because the Lord is calling the shots... He's the one reigning and ruling in there, not the perpetrator, not the offender, not the problem. You don't take your cues from any of that. He says, set apart in your heart, enthroned the inaugural service once again of God on the throne of your life as your Lord. Yes, enthrone him as the Lord but your Lord. So something happens and you want to lash out. You want to push back. You want to hurt them back. You go not to the thing they said, not to how it made you feel, not to how dare they, not to, oh, I can't believe it's them. None of that. Because none of that is on the throne. One thing is on the throne. The Lord. So you go to him and he drives the response. And it's going to be how he would act, how he wants you to feel, how he wants you to think, you see. So that's the answer. Always do not focus on the problem and the pain and the person. Focus on the Lord. Second Corinthians 13, 
5 says, don't you realize Christ is in you by his spirit? Christ Jesus is in you. Go to him. Let him drive you in this matter, in this matter, because you will lose if your emotions start taking over. You will lose, and you will act like every other person who doesn't have a God. Let God be God in your heart, he's saying there in that beautiful verse. Uh, honor him, worship him, and you respond well. And here comes the answer. He says, verse 15, always be prepared to give an answer so that you know you live in a world that needs the gospel. So uh, you always kind of have to uh, be in that right kind of place where if God opens a door, you're ready to share the gospel in a way that, that seems relevant to the person you're speaking with. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you. So you see a couple things here. God expects us to be asked uh, because of the way he wants us to live. And when we're asked, he expects us to be prepared to give an answer that not only is wise with words, but is loving in tone. So, you know, hope is a powerful thing. And so he says, well, they're going to see hope in your life. And, and, and that just God just presumes of his people who have the Holy Spirit, who have all their sins forgiven, who have been reconciled to God with his great love and are going to live forever, and all their problems are working for their good, and nothing can separate them from his love. He just assumes that you and I are going to live with a little bit of hope. And not a little bit of hope, but lives that are unshakable with hope, that are constantly, relentlessly optimistic and joyful. Why? Because of all of the above. Even through the tub's fire, so many people notice the hope and the joy and the peace of uh, 35 families in our congregation lost their home. And I'm telling you what, I didn't see a bad attitude among one person. There were private tears, private. We do not have the luxury of falling apart and coming undone and voicing all of our despair to a world that needs the Lord and looking to us for the hope that they're craving, the hope that they know they need. We have our moments. We cry with one another. We pray through those things. We're not, we're humans. But we also have the Holy Spirit and we don't grieve the way the world grieves. With worldly sorrow that leads to death, we grieve with a godly sorrow that leads to life. And that's what he's asking. So when they see you, they come up and they ask, hey, what's up with that? You lost your house. You lost everything you own, practically, and some really things that you love and adore. But you seem to be, going, you seem to be doing good. They want to know you have to have an answer for that. Well, you know, my real home is in heaven. I don't know how many times people told me they had opportunities like that. In fact, one person said, adversity in the life of a believer is the greatest opportunity to preach the gospel and impact on believers by behaving in otherworldly ways. You see, so I told you about a member in our congregation who said her mom was killed by a drunk driver and uh, she testified in court how much she forgave that person was praying for them. And the courtroom fell silent. Why? Because, um, because she behaved in an other's otherworldly way. People don't do that. They get up there and they say, they, they, and rightfully so. I'm not making fun of them. I'm just saying it's the world's way to get up there and tear them from limb to limb and make them feel the pain and describe their mom and all of that. And she did a little bit of that. But what she did that stunned the court was say, I'm a sinner as much as you are, but I have a Savior. And I do not wish you ill. And I hope that things go well for you and that the judge is merciful to you. Because... I know 
the Lord Jesus Christ, and I hope that you will find him uh, too. So, yeah, he says, make sure when you give that answer, the word in the Greek, apologia, where we get the word apologetics, which is the discipline of defending the faith. So make sure you're just ready all the time. Let me just tell you this morning, at oh dark 30, when nobody should be up except the Starbucks barista, (coughs) the Starbucks barista says, hey, what are you doing up so early? I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) Well, I'm a pastor. And she goes, oh, really? You know, and where do you pastor? She goes, "Uh, and and, and since nobody's behind me, obviously, for like another hour, (laughs) because it's so early, she's like, uh, so we start talking. And and always be ready, prepared. Are you a Christian? Well, funny thing, she says, I've been thinking a lot. I grew up a Catholic, her words, and I'm, I'm starting to reevaluate spiritual things. I said, perfect. Maybe this was a little bit. And she says, serendipitous. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask Siri what that word means. But <laughs> <laughs> I know what serendipitous means. It was a joke. And so, yeah, so we're ready. We're waiting. We're looking for opportunities, and so, yeah, I, I, I want to make good use of that because uh, everybody needs hope. And my last words were her. She goes, maybe I will come by. She, a young adult. I invited her to young adults. And I said, it's win-win with God. You can't go wrong with God. And she smiled. She cocked her head like, oh, yeah. You know, well, why would I be running and resisting God? You're always ready. You're always ready with a lifeline. At any second, if their heart stops and they don't know the Lord, they perish. And forever is a long time. And you have the answer. You have the lifeline. So he's just saying, could you just be stand ready? Stand ready. And if you do stand ready, I promise you'll have the same kind of stories. Because God knows you're standing ready, and God knows you're, you, you're wanting to reach out. You're wanting to make a difference in somebody's heart. He knows that, and now he's going to start lining things up and cueing you and cueing them. And the, that's the way to go. So he says, make sure when you talk in the context of dealing with people who normally have a grudge <laughs> against Christians and you, not so happy about their behavior and totally offended with them, just make sure that your tone is gentle and that you speak with respect because there's a way to say uh, something like they could say, you know, I notice uh, I keep giving you a hard time as your boss and you seem to be completely unfazed. How is that? Question, and now your response. Well, Jesus says I've got to love heathen people like you. You know, and even though you're headed straight for hell, um, you know, yeah, no, uh, we laugh at that, but we have our little ways of slipping in like a little condescending uh, attitude. I'm better than you, and you're you're a jerk, and you do wrong things, and 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 the judgmental, the way Jesus said not to be judgmental, we're supposed to be judgmental in judging right from wrong but not in the way that this is a holier-than-thou, you know, uh, kind of uh, sarcastic, self-righteous kind of way. So gentle is like Jesus described himself. Uh, I love the definition, unassuming, disarming, and polite. And then he says, don't forget about respect, even if they're not doing something worthy of respect. You respect a person because they're made in the image of God, They're image bearers, and it's somebody for whom Christ died. So in that regard, you speak with proper respect to one of God's potential children there, right? And so uh, all human beings want to be uh, spoken to with respect, including you and me. I hate to be talked to without respect. It really rubs me the wrong way, especially with customer service I'm talking about. We lived in Japan, as you know, for four years, where they have a saying, Oyaksama kamisama desu. The customer is God, and they treat you like that. And to live there for four years and then come back here? 
Oh my goodness, it's not, it's just not good. So the other day, I'll throw this out for free. Um, the other day, I call some office and uh, they answer like they're annoyed that I'm calling, you know. And so right away, it just gives me that, oh, I can't stand that, you know, just ordering me around and barking and she won't even let me talk, you know. And it's like, hold. And then I hear static and I'm like, okay, I'm on hold. So I say out loud, I say, um, oh, please and thank you, never hurts. And then I hear her clear her throat. <laughs> and then I hear, click, she hung up on me. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to call you Megan. <laughs> no, I didn't think that. My point of using that is, is that it ruffles anyone's feathers to feel like, why are you treating me that way? You know what? You're not supposed to treat me that way. And I don't appreciate it. And God's, God is telling us they don't like hearing an attitude from you. You be gentle and polite and unassuming and friendly and loving. Not with clenched teeth like, you know, oh, you look so nice today. <laughs> None of that. All right, I think you get it, he says. Yeah, and, and so you don't give them anything they can point at. They're like, why, you know, the other day you, you, yeah, you what? You smiled and you prayed for me. Unbelievable. Yeah, see, so that's what he's saying. Okay, let's finish up. How, how about that? For Christ also suffered once for sins. Let me just preface this by saying, you know, you behave good in spite of the mistreatment. You speak kindly in spite of the mistreatment. And here's your motivation. You're going to go back to the cross in the victory of one who suffered on your behalf. Not only did he suffer, but he suffered well, humbly. And with his persecutors, he was kind and gracious. Now, follow his example and it's a shared victory okay so that's the context here for Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous the religious morally inclined person or the egregious sinner <laughs> to bring you to God he was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. And now he's going to talk about his victory and how Jesus expressed that in between the death on the cross and resurrection Sunday morning, the three days, the part of three days. He's going to say, here's how Jesus expressed that beautiful victory that he just accomplished on our behalf. He went somewhere and he did something. It's a real mysterious but very encouraging thing. After being made alive, he breathed his last and was made alive. His body died, but his spirit lives on. He went and made proclamation to the captive, imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Then he's going to talk about baptism and the picture of bap uh, baptism as seen through the ark going through the waters is kind of a prophetic picture. He says, so speaking of this flood, in only, three, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, Noah and his family. And this water, by the way, symbolizes prophetically, speaks of Christian baptism that now saves you. And now he goes, uh, uh, of course, it's not the actual dunking of the, into the water that saves you, uh, but it's the heart. It's what's going on, a pledge of a clear conscience toward God. I'll talk a little bit more when we get there. It saves you by the, the experience of the pledging your conscience to God and trusting in Christ, that saves you uh, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who's gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with the angels, authorities, and powers and submission to him. But before he entered heaven, 
he says, this is, Jesus had a little victory dance, and he wants to tell us about it in uh, a very intriguing way. So we'll go back to 18, uh, verses 18. There we go. Let's talk about this. And so uh, third point is now, here's some motivation for all of that being good when it's hard to be good because they're being bad, and speaking well when it's hard to speak kindly when they're being unkind. Uh, he says, Remember the cross. Here's your motivation. Remember the Lord. His death for you. There's nothing more uh, humbling, disarming, softening my heart when I start thinking of Jesus in agony for me. So, you know, it, it gets me to think. You know, I start thinking they spit in his face and he took it. Why did he take it? He told somebody there. He said, I could call right now and ask the Father for 12 legion of angels. That's a lot of help from above. And he said, but how would the scriptures be fulfilled? So he took the spitting. He could have called for 12 legion of angels. That's 12 times 6,000. That's a lot of angels. Uh, But he didn't. Why? Because he took the spit for me. Right? Because that was my face that deserved the spittle. You know, so now, now I'm like, whoa, wait a second here. Uh, maybe I can take a little spittle. And they mocked him. Why didn't he just, you know, in, incinerate them right then and there? Because he, he took the mocking that I deserved. And it goes on and on and on. So he's saying, look at the love that he showed you. Look at the way he died and the way he lived. Humble, though he was very God of very God. He humbled himself. He didn't answer back. He was gentle. He was kind. And he did it for you. And he's saying, can you do it too? Can you follow me? Can you be like me now? Just for a little while. And I promise you victory's coming. And that's where we get this little victory dance that he does uh, as he descends from the cross with the thief who just repented, that was close. And uh, he takes the, the thief, repented as he was, to a place called paradise. But we find out that he descends into paradise. And uh, we know what's down there because we have a story uh, about Sheol. Sheol is the Hebrew word for the grave. And before the cross, the grave was below. There was two sides of the grave. One was called paradise, and for all intents and purposes was heaven. But it wasn't in heaven. And you know how we know that? Because Jesus said in John chapter 3, pre-cross, no man has ever gone into heaven except the one who's come down from heaven. Before the cross, not one person who died went up to be with God the Father and the angels in what we call heaven. Not one. Jesus said it. They descended into a place called paradise, which was a very nice place to be held captive (laughs) in this paradise. Well, across from paradise in Sheol was the unrighteous side called Hades. The King James has hell, but that's the wrong word. It should be Hades. They're both really Hades, but one side is for the righteous and one side is for not. Now let me show you in in Luke chapter uh, 16 how we know this is true. Because Jesus didn't tell a parable because parables don't involve people's names. It's a real thing that happened, a real place. Luke 16, there was this rich man, Jesus, our Lord speaking, who was dressed in purple, fine linen, and lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus, which means God is my help. We're we're to uh, understand that this man trusted in God. Covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. 
The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. That's the nickname of paradise was Abraham's comfort because he's sort of the father of saving faith, as we see. All right, so uh, this beggar dies who trusted in God. He's at Abraham's side there in Sheol, the righteous side, paradise. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, Sheol, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger into a water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. So hold on here. Uh, now we know there's a righteous side and, and an unrighteous side and they can see each other and communicate when God wants communication to happen. Okay, you with me so far? All right. But Abraham says, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. You didn't want anything to do with God. <laughs> While Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted here and you are in agony. That's how it goes. Uh, and besides all this between us is a great chasm has been set in place by God above. So there's no going back and forth. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone uh, cross over there uh, either way. It doesn't work that way. So now we know there's before the cross, there was a place called Sheol, paradise on one side, and Hades, torment on the other side. When Christ descends with the thief on the cross who, who believed in Jesus' name and was saved and promised to go to paradise, they descended. And here's what Peter says happened. He proclaimed to captivity, they're called captivity, it's called captivity. He proclaims victory to his own people who are saved throughout the ages. Uh, and there's a great rejoicing. Here I am, paid in full. Now, they will be able, paradise will be able, and as it is, will be taken by Christ in his ascension. He, according to Ephesians chapter 3, let me just show you so I have uh, proof text for all of these. Uh, when he ascended on high, Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, he took many captives there's the word. And he gave gifts to many. He sent the Holy Spirit and gifted people. Uh, uh, but So he's saying, by the way, when he ascends, he's the same one who descended to the lower earthly regions, right? He who descended is the very one who ascends higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So now that sins have been bought and paid for, and removed. Now, those who died in faith of the coming Messiah who would remove their sins, those sins have been removed. And now, in his train, as he ascends, he brings all of the ages of those who died in faith of his coming and were saved into the presence of God. The gates of heaven open, and he leads the way, leads captivity captive. Now, what about the other ones? They're still there. Nothing has changed. Hades is there. When somebody dies in their sins, they descend into that place of torment, which is waiting for the end of the millennial kingdom. Revelation chapter 20 says this, that all of Hades will be resurrected and to each individual will stand before the great white throne judgment and be individually judged. The books are open and every crime they've ever committed before the Lord will be open, judged, and that is called the second death. But what's marvelous about this is, is that the sins that were paid for for the entire Old Testament and now Here's the, here's the reason Jesus is proclaiming. And by the way, the verb is not to preach. King James has it wrong. It is not the, the verb to preach. It can mean preach, but he uses a different word that means to proclaim, to announce. There's no second chances there. So what he does is he announces victory to the righteous side, those three days in the grave. And he also, as Abraham spoke over there, 
our Lord Jesus speaks and proclaims victory. And why is there a shout out to the days of Noah? In the days of Noah, the devils got together and mingled and commingled with human women and produced these freaks that were evil and only did evil all of the time. And it was an effort to stop God from creating Israel and a holy, godly line where we would have a savior. So, so much so that it was impossible for God to bring the nation and the godly line continued that God had to send a flood. And in doing so, the shout out here is he speaks to those involved, involved in the very matter because there are demons in chains, he will tell us again in that very place. So he speaks kind of like this, a little bit like you tried to prevent it, but God has prevailed. And uh, he announces uh, his victory, and they're probably their impending uh, doom. And then he ascends and takes all of his people with him in a beautiful display of the grace and the goodness of God. So there you have it. Now, one last thought. He says, now speaking of baptism, speaking of Noah's Ark, he finishes with this quick thought. In it, only a few people, eight in all. And he says, this water symbolizes baptism, which now saves you, the, the, what, what baptism points to. So here's the deal with baptism. And it's sobering. It's very, very sobering thought. He says, you know how you're saved is kind of like that. The, the flood of God's judgment is coming on an earth, the earth will not be able to sustain life. And from that flood and the threat of judgment up through those waters, the Holy Spirit somehow found you floating around and, and put life in you and put a life jacket on you and up you came out of those waters and into a new life, a new life. The old is gone, the new has come. There's, uh, Christ has made all things new. And through that, you have left the old person. You are dead to that life. You must live dead to that life. Or you'll destroy yourself. So he raises us up through the waters of judgment and escaping as through the flames, all of us coming up to this new life out of the judgment that floods down. And he says that, my brothers and sisters, is the reason you are going to be nice. You are going to speak kindly. You are going to pray and endure and respond in all goodness and with mercy and grace because of the wonder of God's love the, the example of how he died and uh, you're going to follow in the footsteps of your Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we look to you. Thank you for these amazing truths. They just set our hearts free. God, we want to comply in every way. And we throw ourselves on your mercy, God. Be pleased to raise us up to courageous Christian living in Christ's name. We pray. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.